promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Welcome back to the Tread Weary Podcast. This is Pastor Carlton Smead joining you again as we gather around God's Word, looking for His mercy and His grace at a time, especially when we might need it the most. Uh, quick moment of shameless self-promotion. Coming up here June 6th through the 10th, we are having VBS, Vacation Bible School, here at Grace Lutheran Church in Ridgecrest, California. If you are going to be here, or if you are listening and you live here, go ahead and head on over to our website. And if you scroll on down, there's a section there for registration, uh, the promotion area there. And you can just click on the button. It'll take you right to the website where you can register your child. And if you are volunteering, you can register to volunteer as well. But now we're going to be digging back in to these post-resurrection stories that we have been looking at, these stories that give us Jesus in a particular way, post-resurrection, after he's come out of the tomb, and they become important for us because it helps us to know who this Jesus is that we are told that we are supposed to worship and adore. So let us begin now as we normally do, uh, digging into his word, uh, praying a psalm, and preparing our hearts. Lord, open our lips and our mouths shall show forth thy praise. God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Psalm 147. Hallelujah. How good it is to sing to our God, for praise is pleasant and lovely. The Lord rebuilds Jerusalem. He gathers Israel's exiled people. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord helps the oppressed, but brings the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Play the lyre to our God, who covers the sky with clouds, prepares rain for the earth, and causes grass to grow on the hills. He provides the animals with their food and the young ravens what they cry for. He's not impressed by the strength of a horse. He does not value the power of a warrior. The Lord values those who fear him, those who put their hope in his faithful love. Amen. Our gospel reading comes from Luke chapter 24. Now that same day, two of Jesus' disciples were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place, and while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. 
Then he asked them, What is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Clopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? He asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther, but they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. And they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. This is a familiar story to many of us, right? A lot of us have heard this story in part because we get it a few times uh, throughout our lives, whether it be at a vacation Bible school, Sunday school, church, whatnot. It happens in the lectionary, usually post-Easter during the third year of the three-year lectionary, I believe, something something along those lines. But this, this story right it is about christ showing up to some people who really don't understand who this jesus is supposed to be right so it says that he has these two disciples on their way from jerusalem probably back home to their house in emmaus it you know emmaus being an outer ring suburb of jerusalem kind of a thing right so they're they're on a major highway on their way back to uh, back to their suburban uh, chateau or, or whatever the case may be and it and it says that they were arguing with them with each other along the way and uh, some commentators believe and i actually agree with them that Clopas is with his with his wife Mary, because if you remember correctly, Mary, the wife of Clopas, was with the other Marys at the tomb when the tomb was found empty, and they're arguing with each other why? Because Mary shows up and tells a particular story about this Jesus, and apparently Clopas does not believe her, and so they're arguing back and forth and back and forth about this. But you also have to remember that the women, when they found the tomb empty and the angels show up to them, they did not see Jesus either, which kind of fits with the fact that it says that they did not recognize him. They were prevented from recognizing him. And and some say that that God uh, hid him from their eyes. 
uh, close their eyes to be able to see him. Uh, but others would say that no, in fact, it, uh, it is that their, their own hearts, their own doubt has, has covered their eyes. They're, they're not prepared to see a living Jesus because the last time they saw him, he was dying on a cross, right? And so they don't recognize him because they're not prepared to see a risen Jesus, just like we're not prepared for a risen Jesus because people don't rise from the dead, do they? That we can drive by the cemeteries. We can go to the funerals. People are still dead. We, we can't imagine that people have, have risen from the, from the dead, right? And this actually goes into the whole explanation that Kloppus gives, because Jesus says, well, what things are you arguing about? And he says, were you the only one who doesn't know anything about Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, oh, what things? Wanting to sort of test Kloppus, sort of taking him uh, back to confirmation class. And so then Kloppus says, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. Do you notice something? Just calls him a prophet. Well, he's just a prophet. He's not the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's not the son of David. He's, he's a prophet, powerful, but just a prophet. How often it is, church, that we get Jesus wrong, that we think of him as just a dude. I was watching a TV show just the other day, and it's called The Bastard Executioner. I found it on Hulu, and it was pretty good. Uh, but you get towards the end, and it was just another one of these stupid TV shows that go into this fictional account of that. Well, Jesus was just a man, but he got married and had a baby with Mary Magdalene, and that bloodline has been passed down, and it turns out that this this guy who is pretending to be an executioner is actually a descendant of Jesus the Nazarene, they called him. We get Jesus wrong all the time because we can't imagine that he's actually God with us, in part because we don't actually want to believe in God. We want to believe in ourselves, and we want to believe that, well, if Jesus was powerful enough to do certain things, well, then maybe we can be that powerful too. And so we want to throw Jesus aside as nothing more than just a human being who did some nice things, rather than God himself who came to earth for us for a particular purpose. And so here Kloppus is getting Jesus wrong right off the bat. And then he says, And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. This would be a big deal, because if he's supposed to be this, this uh, messiah, in, in the sense of a political messiah, a new king coming as one who is going to kick out the Romans, uh, upset the political apple cart, and do what is necessary in order to reinstitute the kingdom of Israel, well, the religious leaders should have gotten it right, right? They should have backed him. They should have gotten behind him and done what was necessary in order to make sure that he's able to do what he's supposed to do. And so it was a big deal that the religious leaders turned their backs on him, that the religious leaders turned away from him, handed him over to the very ones that in Clopas's mind and in Judas Iscariot's mind and in the mind of a lot of people even today who see Jesus more as a revolutionary who's supposed to be there to be, to usher in some so, sort of socialist utopia rather than one who came to die for our sins and to make us right with God, to keep us from killing each other because we don't want to die. More on that in a second. 
the, the religious leaders turned their back on him, which was a big red flag for Clopas sitting here going, well, he must not have been the one. And then he adds in, we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel, who was about to reinstitute the kingdom and take his place on the throne of Jerusalem and and be the, the David who's supposed to come. But that wasn't what Jesus was coming to do anyways. And the Bible continues to tell us this, but we tend to always get it wrong because we think, well, if Jesus would just be behind our favorite political leader, things would work out. But that's not the Jesus that we need, nor is it the Jesus that we're given. And then he adds in, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened, meaning he's dead, dead, not just a little dead, not just mostly dead, like in Princess Bride. He's dead, dead. That's the, that's the, the Hebrew euphemism here. Being dead for three days means you're dead, dead. That's why it's a big deal that he would be dead for three days. That it wasn't just some sort of swoon or uh, somebody got it wrong. He's dead, dead. Like it's, it's finished. It's done. He, he's not coming back. And then has to talk about his wife. Well, I, I can picture him looking at his wife, right? They're going, moreover, some women came and told us this amazing thing. Angels and empty tombs and all this stuff. And some of us went there and found the tomb empty and we didn't find a body. Uh, they didn't, you know. And th- we always want to make this assumption that people long ago were just superstitious, hooked into supernatural stuff. And that's not the case. That is not the case at all. That the majority, the ruling party in the religious system in Israel were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were very much intellectuals. They were the enlightened ones. They did not hold to things like angels and miracles and all that stuff. So we need to stop assuming that people were just sort of backwater, supernatural uh, uh folks back then who who would just be swept away by visions and all this thing no they it's part of the reason why they want to poo-poo what the what the women say because they can't imagine that there would be this vision of angels that wasn't normal and so it's a big deal here when Clopas is, is ripping into his wife a little bit and uh, then jesus gets his payback right how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ripping into him just like, just like he does with the disciples all the time, that the disciples do not get it. Clopas doesn't get it, and we very rarely ever get it. And then he has to make sure that they understand that the Messiah was meant to suffer. And he goes through the scriptures, opens them up from Moses to the prophets to make sure that Clopas and his wife understand why these things happened with this Messiah, this Jesus, like they did. It's the necessity for us to have the scriptures open to us, to learn, to grow in the understanding of what God has to say to us about his plan of salvation and his work for you. That that he you know probably took them back to Hosea and Isaiah and Ezekiel, uh, opening up the 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 scriptures about death needing to be defeated in Isaiah twenty five, uh, the necessity of resurrection in Isaiah twenty six, the suffering servant of Isaiah fifty three, the the dry bones in Ezekiel thirty seven, the 
the God as our shepherd from, my, from Ezekiel 34, coming and seeking and finding the lost. Deuteronomy 18, this other prophet that is to come. And a bunch in the Psalms, Psalm 22, Psalm 103, all of these places to open up for us the fact that Jesus came not as some sort of political leader, but he comes as one to rescue us. Because you see, church, regardless of what we want to assume about our sin and whatnot, as the scriptures tell us, the wages of sin is death, right? That's what Paul writes to us in Romans. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We spend the majority of our lives sinning and using our sin to try and to avoid death. Think about someone who murders somebody and there's a witness. They want to avoid being condemned for that murder. And so what do they do? They go and they kill the witness. They commit another murder to try to avoid the repercussions of their sin. Well, we spend the majority of our time, the majority of our lives sinning and using sin to try and avoid the consequences. And death comes to us to remind us of the fact that we are not God. We are not supernatural, (laughs) that we are sinners and that we are going to die because of our sin. And Christ comes to defeat both sin and death. If he's just a normal guy, a normal dude, then he's still dead. He is not raised from the dead and he did not do what was necessary for us, which was to die for our sin and be raised for our justification, meaning that he takes all our sin upon himself, pays the penalty for that to defeat sin, and then he rises from the grave in order to defeat death so that death's hold over the sinner is done. That is what we get in Christ and we have to remember that. The reason why we want Jesus to be something else is so that we don't have to think about the fact that we are a sinner. If we can do anything else to try to avoid that reality, we will. But Jesus comes to say, no, I want real sinners. I want true sinners. I want people who are humbled and humiliated enough to be able to admit that they are broken so that I can redeem them, patch them together, and make them my own which is what he comes to do. And then our reading finishes with this beautiful picture, right? Of they make it to the village and they urge him to stay and he stays. And then he reveals himself in the breaking of the bread. There's so many parallels that we can take of that to say, well, that's communion. Because in communion, we are reminded that we are sinners, but that we have a risen Christ who gave his body and his blood for us to take away our sin and to defeat death. And so when we get together for communion, that's part of what we are reminded of is this risen Jesus. It's the reason why we're able to have it every week because Christ lives and gives of himself to you every single day. A political Jesus can't do that. A nice guy or a good prophet can't do that. But this risen Jesus can. And that is what we need of this Christ. That is what we need this Easter. So may that be so for you 
as we continue looking at these stories of this risen Christ who comes to take away all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your pain, all of your anger, and to give you himself in the breaking of bread, but also every day as the risen Christ who is no longer on the cross, no longer in the tomb, but lives for you, seated at the right hand of the Father because his work is done. Let us pray. Almighty God, you show the light of your truth to those in darkness to lead them into the way of righteousness. Give strength to all who are joined in the family of the church so that they will resolutely reject what erodes their faith and firmly follow what faith requires. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All church, go in peace. Serve the Lord. We will see you again next time. Thank you.